In today's episode of the podcast, I sit down with my friend Thomas, who is the editor and a player on Roleplay Inc. I got to know how he started playing TTRPGs, how he started editing and producing for live plays, and then at the end of it, we give some really good and helpful advice for those who are new to TTRPGs and perhaps want to start playing. With that being said, I hope that you enjoy this episode. Be sure to show Thomas some love on his social media pages that are linked in the show notes. And if you enjoy this episode, please be sure to subscribe and share with your friends. With all that being said, let's dive into this episode. Thomas, my friend, how are you today? I'm excellent. How are you doing, Brian? Man, I'm doing well. I can't complain. It's so good to have you on the podcast. We have been playing, I just realized before the show, we have been playing for about three, four years now. And ironically, yep. we've never met in person. This is true. We uh, we met online and we've kind of stayed online, even though we have several connections outside of that. But no complaints from here, though. I mean, no, I have no <laughs> complaints. I just I, I can't wait. I can't wait to meet all my Evermorean friends and oh, for all sure. my online friends. It's I think it's going to be insane when we all meet all the Evermore. Yeah, all the Evermore players, we're going to cause a ruckus for sure. Now, have you met anybody from Evermore yet? Truth? I'm trying to think. Truthfully, probably not. I this think... will... No, I haven't. Yeah, the only one I've met is Justin so far. Okay. So. I, I'm planning on going to a couple of conventions where I'll meet Ashley and Chad. Oh, yeah, you're going to Gen Con. Yeah. So I'm planning on that. I think Ray is doing some work here in the Carolinas. So I may try to pick him up from the airport or, or just try to do something. But other than that, I have not met anyone. It's crazy. Yeah, I almost I almost got to meet Kenny. He was he was in San Antonio, but we just I couldn't get my schedule to where I could get down to see him. Dang. It was a bummer. Dang. Yeah. Well, you know, for the folks out there listening, Thomas and I met, like we said, online. We played a lot of Dungeons and Dragons together. I would say we have been routinely playing in this homebrew world for about three, four years. The world itself has been running for about I'd say about 30 years now, Thomas. Is that right? Yeah, that sounds about right. 30, I think you said 38 last time I remember. 38? That, that might oh. be wrong. 30, because he's not that old. It has to be 30. Yeah. Okay. I was going to say, dang, I had I have missed the boat on that. But let's just, but for 30 years, he's been running this homebrew game. And Ray, you might know him as GobDM on Instagram. He has been running this to keep his friends together. And I mean, bravo, he has done an excellent job at that. Now, with that being said, Thomas, I'd love to first dive into how you got into TTRPGs. Was Ray's game the first D&D or other, or like TTRPG that you ever played? No, or no, were no. were you playing before that? I was playing before that. Uh, I have vague memories of you know childhood playing once in a while here and there in a camp or something, sitting in a corner fighting a dragon, uh, but nothing super serious until maybe six years ago. Okay. Um, I had already taken up podcasting in, in some form, and one of my podcasts fell through, and 
I was kind of bummed about it. So I was talking to this friend of mine who was a big, big time geek, love him to death. His name's Drew. And I was like, you know, I'm super bummed out about what happened with this podcast. And he's like, what can I do? What can I do, man? I was like, you know what? I really want to get into D&D. So I want to play. I said, let's make a podcast because he was a podcaster as well. I said, let's make a D&D podcast. And so we looked, I looked at some other friends of mine and we made this podcast that was basically just friends of mine from different areas that didn't necessarily know each other, but they all knew me. And we, we brought together and that's when I first made my first character that I can actually remember and, and put a story to. And at the same time, I started going to the local game store, um, played some sit down games there and made one other side group from that, that I, that I was playing with, uh, they got into a really serious game. I like, I really dove in hard when I did this, uh, I found another group that was playing uh, 3.5. I didn't know anything about 3.5. I kind of just understood 5, but I kind of dove in there as well. Um, and I just, I wanted friends locally and I wasn't, I didn't have a lot of success with that because I'm not a big drinker. I don't go out to bars and stuff like that, you know? And so I wanted to lean more into my nerd side and and make friends both locally and online. And it's, been a blessing ever since like i've made so many friends doing this i have noticed that a lot of folks that come together especially in the DD ttrpg space we tend to have a long-term friendship occurring i i don't know what it is i think it's because of the stories we tell maybe the emotions that we we share with one another but i do notice that something very similar to your story I just did not want to go to bars to meet friends. I thought it was kind of, I don't know what would be the correct word, but I just felt that it wasn't the place to meet authentic friends. And ironically, we've always been, you know, we probably, we grew up being told you don't meet friends online. And here we go. Years (laughs) later, I'm making tons of friends online. We've made a lot of friends online. And I mean, I want to kind of touch on the, the fact that, you know, we've been playing for so long. Our characters have interacted in many ways in which we don't, we sometimes see and don't see. But with your experience in D&D, before you got to Ray's game, could you talk to me about some of the longer campaigns that you were playing in or were you running or anything of that combination? Kind of what certainly, was that story like? Certainly. So um, one of the main off off podcast ones that I had uh I've met up with this group of people it was from a uh meetup group and they said hey we're I'm looking for beginner players I kind of want to dm I'm looking for new players to to dm for didn't know these guys from anybody five of us joined up we started at a game store um and my friend Rob who's I'm of course still good friends with now because mm-hmm. of this uh, started this campaign. I made a, uh, a tiefling sorcerer nice. um, and his name was Zerus and he was very uh, pompous, overconfident, uh, showed off a lot, flashy clothes, you know, things like that. And he was actually kind of, his backstory was that he was a, 
a snake oil salesman of sorts, uh, you know, selling things, moving town to town, you know, betting every woman he could, he could get his hands on things like that. And he didn't know anything about his magic heritage at all. Um, so he's just doing all this stuff. And then he, uh, betted the wrong woman who, uh, her husband came to find him in a town later on to, to confront him. And he ended up accidentally killing this guy when his powers manifested. Uh, so he's now, and then the woman he had betted, who he was actually legitimately interested in, um, saw him kill her husband and saw this magic manifest in him. And so he went on the run, you know, met his friends, started adventuring. And that was the first taste I had of truly deeply emotional D&D because this DM brought that woman back and she like 12 levels later, I ended up facing this woman and having to kill her myself because she's been corrupted by this, this big evil that has taken over her and the anger that I put into her heart made her accept this evil into her. And then we, I had to fight her and kill her like with my bare hands and that session, I can still remember like the way of my body was shaking the tears that were in my voice when I was talking about it and, and feeling every word that I was saying as I was, you know, plunging this knife into her chest. Damn. So (laughs) that was my, that was when I realized what D and D actually was like, it wasn't, you know, building a character to fight fights and, you know, traipse across the land. It was something that could be emotional and touching and therapeutic in in its own mind. I, I feel that everyone thinks that Dungeons and Dragons is, and really tabletop games, but D&D specifically is a bunch of people just rolling dice and you see the stereotypical characters on Big Bang Theory or Stranger Things kind of rolling dice and shouting out ridiculous fantasy names and things of that nature. But in reality, Dungeons and Dragons is a storytelling game that you play with your friends. It is this world of imagination that's created and what really resonated with me of what you said is the emotion that comes in it as a previous, you know, forever DM until I started playing in Ray's world. I could see that emotion in folks, but I never got to experience it. And obviously you're mentioning that this kind of first real experience of emotion as this character, as this tiefling sorcerer, I, I I wonder, and, and oh, you also mentioned the therapeutic aspect of it. My question to you is, from a therapeutic perspective, is it something where you think you'll see more, you know, schools, more, you know, places of where we can facilitate more therapy in a positive way, or just even communication? I definitely see that happening. In fact, um, I grew up in the foster care system when I was younger. And one of my foster brothers, who I still kind of consider my brother, his name's Ashton. He actually runs a program where he's taking younger kids, you know, mid-teens and 
he does after school programs where he's playing D and D with them. He's, he does like camps where he's playing D and D with these kids and getting them telling stories and, and working things out as well. And I, I think it has to have that kind of positive impact on them where they're able to maybe talk about things that they think in their head, but maybe aren't comfortable saying out in the real world, you know, it, it's an outlet for sure. And I'm sure it's really healthy as well. Well, and it, it just makes me feel that with the, with the way things are going on in this world, we have an an amazing opportunity to really sit down with people and get to know one another. And this is one of those ways. I, I kind of have three three ways which I would do that, right? And that's usually through food, through gaming, and then through honestly, just random conversation, like a coffee type thing. But I feel that storytelling is probably the most impactful. Now, fast forwarding though, what you were mentioning with your character, and I I actually didn't know that you grew up in the foster care system. Um, Do you think, and again, with your brother, you can see the success there. Do you think though that with D&D, was it D&D specifically that kind of brought that therapy or do you think TTRPGs in general would do that? Oh, it's definitely TTRPGs, not D&D. D&D is just a a, a mode. You know, okay. it's just a, a a way to get the the conversation going, I think. And that's what all the TTRPGs are. It's just a each one has a different way to get the story going. And sure. where the story goes depends entirely on the characters that are in there and the dedication to allowing yourself to be vulnerable um, and open up to those experiences and finding a story that's going to be impactful and meaningful to you and everybody else at the table. I, I mentioned, and I asked about D and D specifically, because I think that D and D specifically fifth editions barrier of entry is so low that it allows everyone to step in and, because of the mechanical freedom that you have, it allows you to be who you are. My example is if you want to be a gunslinger, right? I have a friend of mine, personal friend. Uh, he lives up in Michigan. He was a corpsman for a very, uh, I think he was a corpsman in the Navy for about eight years or so. And he was deployed, right? Had a, uh, he has seen a lot of things and I don't want to tell his story uh, entirely because he will be on this podcast one day, damn it. <laughs> but he recently got into D and D and he noticed that he became a gunslinger. He did all these things kind of imbued his, his persona. And not only did he find it therapeutic, but he found it almost liberating. I don't know if that would be, the his words exactly but my guess from observation was that it was liberating and i think it was because he was able to create this awesome character that mirrored him and then he was allowed to go into this setting with almost like i I call it relaxed shoulders right you know when you're tense you have your shoulders up but when you're kind of relax you slump back a little bit you kind of go into this posture of just 
relaxed shoulders. So he was able to go into that. And I wonder if it was because of fifth edition specifically. Now, that might be a mechanical question, but I do agree with you that TTRPGs in general build that kind of repertoire of vulnerability and kind of going into raise game. So folks out there who haven't heard this yet, maybe, I don't know, but I'll repeat it because I think it's worth noting. Our friend Ray, God bless him. I love you, Ray. You're crazy as shit, but I love <laughs> So <him>. much love. <laughs> there is so much love. Crazy as shit in the sense of what he does, but I love him. Ray and his friends created this world of evermore. They've, he's been running it for 30 years. It's what kept him and his friends together himself through uh, deployments, through work, all this stuff. And that's where, you know, Thomas and I met. We created these characters. However, I will have to say that in our time together, we really didn't, I don't know if we would say if we do or don't play fifth edition because everything's so massively homebrewed. We, we play with a, a fifth edition baseline. I would say like the, the yeah. barest making your character and what roles are what, like what roles you're going to roll for something are, are genuine or genuine, uh, generally based in D in fifth edition. Yeah, He allows a lot of creative freedom though. Absolutely. And I mention all this because as players, we have this creative freedom to really dive into our characters, our backstories, the world around us, and we have free reign. As a player, what were your thoughts when you went into this type of game? Obviously, having this emotional experience, and I, I will say this authentic experience with your tiefling sorcerer, yeah. jumping into Ray's world, how did it differ? Did you feel any f sort of pull? What, what were what was going through your head? Well, I'll tell you what. I was in one of the other games that I was in. I was struggling a lot with it being the stereotypical D and D. Uh, you know, rolling dice, fighting fights, moving on to the ne next objective. You know, over and over again, and. I had had this awesome experience on one hand and this not so awesome experience on another hand. And I wanted to capture, recapture that experience so badly that mm -hmm. I had had. And I was talking to our friend Chad at the time. And, you know, he mentioned, Hey, there's this world I play in that, you know, you'll definitely have experiences like that. It's more about character. It's more about story, you know, and stuff like that. So I was, I was super excited. Uh, made up my character, kind of got ready to play in Ray's world. And the very first session, Ray has me talking to my dead father who just died trying to save my life. My character was a 17-year-old boy who was had no intentions of being an adventurer. Gets washed up on this beach after his city just gets destroyed. And Ray has me go face-to-face -face with my dead father that had just gotten me off this out of the city alive. And you never, sometimes you don't realize the stuff that you hold on to in your heart. And 
being able to talk to my dad again, like for that moment, I was talking not to this character's dad, but to my dad who had passed. And man, first session that man had me crying at the table, just like deeply letting, like letting me feel this character moment. And he opened up such a safe space for it. Like I didn't know anybody at this table, <laughs> but here I am because I, I, he made me feel safe. He guided it and it was a truly emotional, you know, moment. And that's when I knew that I had found a place that was experiencing storytelling the way I wanted to experience storytelling. That session was probably one of the most insane sessions that I've ever played. I would say it's one of my top, top five to top 10 sessions because in, in all of Evermore. Mind For you. sure. I remember my character, Dane Granite Heart at the time was in this Dwarven stronghold castle and Essentially, I enter because there's a portal and I see the shipwreck. I see all this stuff. And I know notice that there are folks from Candle Ridge where that is the 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 group that or rather it was the main city where we as characters would kind of meet and talk and explore together in addition to the world. But that's pretty much where Ray would introduce us to his world. As a new player, basically, this was the formula. You would be invited. You would then start role-playing with Ray. And you would start role-playing on Discord with a bunch of random people who would be in... Was it called the Hovel? I think it was called the Hovel. Okay, yeah. So it was called the Hovel because it was named after Hatchet's Hovel, character that Ray had since he was a kid think that was his character as a kid like his dm npc or something like that probably still alive today (laughs) yeah 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 oh yeah and basically candle ridge was a city that was created by some of his in-person players because of, of an event that occurred and it was growing and thriving you know crazy real feelings of the world in this you know city and thomas's character again 17 year old i remember the, the i remember that session because i'm trying to save a bunch of people again the paladin right trying to save a bunch of people yeah. and do all this and i remember seeing your character's growth because even though we parted ways and and again for the folks out there this was a very west marches style game and it still is Thomas and I could play in a session together for years. And then if his story decides to go one way, totally acceptable, totally fine. If my story goes another way, again, great, no problem. But then we can reconvene. Yeah, but it's all part of the same world. There may be six groups doing six different things in six different planets even. Yeah. Um, but there's usually some way to get back to somebody you might want to reconnect with. And the greatest thing is that what one group does can easily affect another group. And that was kind of magical to me. That was something I was actually really scared of at first coming, excuse me, coming into it was that uh, 
Like, how, how does he do this? How does he manage this? But I it's would... with a great finesse and it's incredible. A lot of finesse and a personality to match because Ray is an incredibly smart man who has the personality of, nope, this is how it's going to be. This is what's going to happen, so on and so forth. But with that being said, kind of laying that foundation down, do you recommend that style of gaming for new players? Do you recommend players who maybe have only been playing for about a, you know, maybe six months to pursue a game like that? I would say that the thing that gave me the greatest freedom to really explore a character and get deep into a character emotionally and connect with those characters is having a strong base in the actual game, like the mechanics of the game. Mm -hmm. And like I said, the deep emotional stuff in that previous game I had mentioned didn't happen until level 12. So I'd been playing for a good little bit. Yeah. And coming into Ray's game, I had also been playing with a, a, for a good while. Um, so, I mean, it, it can go either way. There's some people I've seen that pick it up instantly. We have a couple of new, new players that are really diving in deep with it. Ray makes it really easy because he just, he'll tell you what to roll, you know, almost and without thinking about it. Um, but having, having some place where you don't have to think about the rules so much opens up the ability, I think, to focus more on those, those intense emotional moments. And I I have to agree because my standing on this is that new players should have about six months worth of normal D&D, right? I don't necessarily recommend Adventures League right now just <laughs> because the, the mechanics of Adventures League, not necessarily that they're different from fifth edition is that the logistics and that mechanical aspect is difficult to navigate in my opinion. Right. And if you're a new player, I don't think it's a right fit. I have had decent experiences with it, but if you find a game store that does a weekly D and D yep, go for that. And then I would say, if you desire a game where you can essentially build your own world and be a part of the homebrewing process, because that's what Ray does for us. We are invited into his world and then we are allowed to kind of homebrew it as well because he built oh, for sure. a huge foundation. So that's kind of my recommendation, but Kind of moving along from there, we experience a lot of good and bad in D&D. I feel like, and, and maybe this might be the perfect time to explain it, where we as players, not just Thomas and I, but we as players with the whole one D&D fiasco and everything that's going on, I don't know how this affects you and your podcast, because obviously like you were in actual plays and things of that nature. Yep. But for a lot of folks, and I, you know, this is obviously as a as time of recording, this is a bit of old news with the OGL and with one D and D. But I do think it's still prominent in our heads, but also prevalent. 
to say D&D is what you make it. D&D is whatever you want it to be. From your perspective, what do you think, how rather do you think one D&D is going to affect podcasts in the future and actual plays? Do you think there's just going to be a wave of like 5e exclusive or like one D&D exclusive? What, What do you think? I don't know. I know that for our show, um, the new the one that we just started, Roleplay mm-hmm. Inc., um, I basically drew from the players that I know now because I'm I'm deeper in the community. I know who plays and stuff like that. And I found players who wanted the same thing as I did. They wanted story. They wanted character. And they wanted to go deep. When we were starting this up, I had found my cast and right as we were about to start is when the whole OGL and one D and D thing was, was going down and it put a stop on us for a while. We're like, what do we do? Do we switch to a different system? Do we, you know, go forward with five E and it wasn't until they decided to leave five E alone that we said, okay, we're going to stick with five E because we all love it. We're all comfortable with it. And if we're going to get deep into these characters, having a comfortable system is going to help us do that. Uh, learning a new system's going to, you know, hinder that in some way as well. We try to fumble through rules and stuff like that that we're not sure about. As for going forward with podcasts, it's hard to say. Um, there are people that are going to jump on one D&D hoping that they can, you know, ride a wave that's starting up if there even is a wave. But I think that they may end up finding that the control that Wizards is trying to hold over one D&D will maybe hinder that because they're going to have all kinds of rules on on what you can monetize, what you can, you know, how any of that gets affected by, you know, we all know the viral nature of the Internet now. And you can have a show that's doing one D&D thinking you're going to be nothing and all of a sudden you're popular and now wizard has their handout to wizards has their handout to you saying, Hey, this is our game. You got to pay us. And you're in a weird spot where I think D and D with five E right now, they've, they've left it how it is, you know, creative commons and all that stuff. So it's safer, I think for something that might grow into a monetized uh, platform. I want to say that, and I don't know if you agree with this. I feel like Hasbro has been really the one pulling the strings because most of the people at Watsy, like middle management below, are pretty. Oh, I'd agree. I'd agree a thousand percent. Yeah. Yeah. They're, I they're... only say wizards because I'm not going all the way up the ladder, but yeah, definitely. I'm going to climb that ladder. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. I'm not. I'm too scared. Um, I think Hasbro, and I get it. Their shareholders have a specific desire and therefore Hasbro needs to comply with their shareholders. But what makes me feel almost uneasy is the monetization, right? We we on this podcast, we're going to talk about pretty much anything and everything. And we, at least I have noticed that the monetization is there. For certain podcasts, oh, for sure. Look at, look at Critical Role. No judgment to, towards them. I I know that there was based upon some numbers that came out because of a infosec related incident with Twitch, and Critical Role was unfortunately one of the uh, 
segments of data that was compromised yep. and learning how much they make from subs and then learning how much they charge from it for an advertisement. I think it's 40,000 for an advertisement space. Yeah. There's money in these things. And not that it's a bad thing. They need to pay for a studio. They need to pay for equipment. They need to pay for actors. And that's if they get, if you know, the critical role cast gets paid, like the founding members, they need to pay for things. And this helps. My question is, I wonder, and obviously we kind of see it now, right? They have uh, their new, I would say RPGs. They have their new RPGs with uh, Candle, is it Obscura? Or... Oh, the you talk about Critical Role and the new system that they're mm-hmm. building? Yeah. Even they, they are like, okay, there's too much upheaval with this. We're just going to try to do our own system to be safe. Yeah. Which everyone thought like, oh, are they going to go back to Pathfinder? No. They, not that they don't like Pathfinder. They have positioned themselves in a place where they can play whatever system they want. And for sure, be a hit, right? They didn't, I, they just did a one shot, uh, a Legend of Zelda inspired one shot where Nintendo essentially, and I don't know if you knew this, Nintendo found so much success in that one shot they decided to re-release and rather refrain or just i don't know what the legal term is but they had a season desist for pokemon 5e it has now been dropped well because they're again tradit not well pokemon nintendo company are a traditional japanese company that did not at first understand fifth edition so yep. it was very much a, oh, you're stealing RIP to make a game and sell it. Okay, no, we're not having that. And then now they see the success and they're like, oh. This makes people like our stuff more. <laughs> yep. I mean, who doesn't want to become a Pokemon trainer and use 5e? For sure. Um, but anyway, besides, I always joke around that this is like a podcast of tangents. So I apologize. <laughs> but I I see this type of gameplay though as still beneficial i think one piece of advice that i and i want and I, I want your thoughts on this for new players especially going into it around the ogl time i feel so bad for the new players that came in around the ogl fiasco that <laughs> that must have sucked but my question is what what would you recommend for those people who kind of were like hey wait a minute I thought D&D was supposed to be this kind of creative space where everyone gets to share stuff. And now we're getting a bunch of upheaval and a bunch of craziness. How do you recommend if you could go back in time and tell some of those new players, what would you have told them to kind of give them a bit of peace of mind or just uh, 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 something that would not deter them from leaving the game? Because I heard a lot of people in my LGS say, yeah, you guys got to fix that OGL stuff. I don't really want to play in a, in a hobby that is eating itself alive. That is what one person told me. I think my biggest advice would be there are always two sides to a story, you know, with the way the leaks happened and everything, nobody's ever going to know for sure how things went down. No, but in the end, they, 
decided to listen to their customer base. Yeah. At least to some extent. Um, and I think, I think everybody was probably a bit too reactive to what was going on, the leaks and whatnot. They didn't give time for, I can't say too reactive because the reactiveness is what changed their mind, of course. But the people that just jumped ship, I think, didn't give Wizards a chance to fix the problem that they caused. Like if one of the things that I was telling people at the time is like, okay, if if you do something wrong and you're called out on it and you don't fix it, then you deserve any negative stuff that you get. But if you're called out and you take a look at what the feedback that you got and say, okay, I do see that this is causing a problem. Let's back it up. Let's see if we can find a way to make middle ground or, or whatever. And they basically backed it up completely. They're like, okay, we're just going to do one DD as it, its own thing. You know, you'll get to keep 5e the way it is. <laughs> and I think what I would say to people is one, give people the chance to redeem themselves if they, if they're going to, and two, remember that it is about the story, not about the machine. You know, the machine you're using doesn't matter as much as the stories that you want to tell. Stories have been have been told for millions of years and they're going to keep being told. Emotions are always going to want to escape and be shown. And the mechanics that you do use to tell those stories don't matter as much as the stories you're telling. You mentioned the reactions. I want to see if you agree. Do you think it was responsiveness versus reaction that drove change? Or do you think the raw emotion that was, you know, tunneled, I'm not tunneled, excuse me, excuse me, funneled into a reaction is what caused it? I think it's probably some of both people have, I mean, people that get deep into these games, um, they forge a deep emotional connection with the things that, that are important to them, whether it be the game itself, the characters that they're playing, um, the characters they're watching on TV or listening to in podcasts. And I think the whole fiasco really had people worried that they were going to lose, lose things, whether it be, you know, these characters that they are playing, whether it be the, stories that they're watching and are listening to on these podcasts, there was a, a big fear of losing things that were important to them. Why um, do you think that we get so emotionally attached to our characters? For me, it's because I put myself into my character, you know, when without even necessarily realizing it, uh, psyche is an amazing thing. And when we're told we have a blank slate to create something, there's always going to be pieces of us that go into the things that we create, whether or not we realize it. And then when those things get threatened to be taken away, we realize how important they are to us, whether or not we had before, you know, I may have a ball that I play with every day and I don't really think about it, you know, at all, but somebody comes to take that ball all of a sudden that ball is very important to me and it can cause a very visceral reaction. That is very true. Do you think though that, our character creation process is just innate human desire 
to kind of inject ourselves into things, right? So for for example, let's pick let's okay, let's use the the ball theory. Okay. When someone is playing like soccer or football or you know basketball or whatever and we you know we're playing as normal learning the game having fun with friends and things of that nature part of me thinks that when that opportunity comes up where that ball that hobby that thing that we identify with is going to be taken away we do become defensive over it but it's because we have essentially which is in my opinion human nature to inject our spirit into almost i don't i don't even know what the other word would be because i truly feel like it's like we put our soul into it i mean you see it you see it in movies all the time you know where you know a team is is a team but that team gets threatened to be taken away because so and so is happening and you know oh we're not going to have money for this team and you you see the way the characters react to that in that story. And you see the way even surrounding people like parents and stuff like that will rally to make sure that that doesn't get taken away from them. It it's almost, I mean, we all know how, how much of a community uh, TTRPGs are. And I think that's part of it is, is it's the community nature of, of all these things that we do. And when one of us gets hurt, you know, kind of everybody else wants to step up and, and protect those people as well, or keep their things from being taken from them. That is very true. I mentioned it in another episode, but I do think it's worth noting. The TTRPG space is probably the only community that I've been a part of besides like jujitsu that has encompassed every facet of life what do i mean you have conservatives and liberals you have religious people non-religious people you have everyone in between spectrum wise in this one hobby and i felt that when i was at mace con which was renamed jeff con when uh, mr jeff passed away he was the co-founder really the main person but he was the one that founded MaceCon, which is a huge gaming convention here in the southeast and something that mr jeff wanted to always implement was this spirit this community and i kid you not i've seen every person at this con playing games together and you would never find them in the same room if it wasn't for that so i i had i I see this unique, I'm trying to think of a really good word for that. It's almost this unique charisma that is TTRPGs. Now, I have two-part question here. First, for someone getting into the TTRPG space, I think nowadays it's overwhelming because there's so many options, right? And it's and it's kind of a niche space, but it isn't. It's again, you and I may have similar backgrounds or not. I don't know, or similar hobbies and likes, but we can come together, play games for, you know, four or five hours a week and grow our friendship, yep. which I, I would say that that's a normal thing. But for someone who's entering into the TTRPG space, 
what are some of the things that you would tell someone who's trying to enter it? What are some of the things that you would say to avoid or to like jump on cling on koala bear style? <laughs> uh, one of the things I would say to avoid is trying to continually make yourself a main character. Don't be a, don't be afraid to be a supporting character in somebody else's story. We go through our lives constantly thinking we, we don't even think it. It just happens in our head. We feel like the main character in our own story constantly. We're the only person that really matters. You know, the whole, you never see your, your uh, neighbors bring the groceries in kind of thing. Yeah. You know, um, don't be afraid to let story happen through somebody else's perspective and patiently your turn will come whether or not you're, whether or not you're trying, you're going to have an impact on that story, whatever story you're, you're getting into. Um, as for what to hold on to, what to grab onto, what to koala bear hug, like, like it's never going to go away. I would say that's the deep connections that you make, the friends that you make. It's, you know, the, the saying is the friends we made along the way. Okay. It really is. Um, these stories don't mean anything without somebody to share them with. Uh, a story that you tell to yourself doesn't, doesn't reverberate in the world. So, Find the people that you want to share a story with, give them space and let them give you space and really just don't be afraid to let go of your emotions and enjoy what's happening in the story. Now, what does that look like practically? Like what could you give me an example of if I was a new player and I said, hey, Thomas, I really want to start playing D&D, &D, but I don't know how to get into a group and I don't know how to act in front of a group because I want to express this story. I just don't know what to do. And then I get really excited and I know I can talk a lot. So I want to keep that and make sure that, you know what I mean? Like what, yes, what, would, for be, sure. what would that look like? Uh, as for finding a game. Um, it can be daunting, especially because a lot of, I, I hate to generalize, but there are a lot of introverts that play this game. We, we sure. have these stories inside us and we are, aren't necessarily always comfortable with crowds and things like that. What I did specifically was I used a, an app called meetup, which was about finding people that did things like I wanted to do. Uh, I've looked for D and D I found two different stores that were doing D and D in my area. And I got the guts up one day to finally just go out and do it. You know, okay, okay I'll go sit at this table. Um, mm. it may not always work. Uh, don't be afraid to, if you're not feeling like a space fits for you to step away from a table. Uh, you know, there's, a million tables out there you can join. You don't have to be stuck at one where you're not happy. Find a table that wants to do the things that you want to do and you will find less conflict. Um, as for you're loud, you're, you're boisterous, you want to get into it. My only thing that I can say about that is care about what the other people are saying as well take the time to care about what other people are talking about. And you'll find that 
your moment to have those boisterous times to be the center of attention will come. And a good DM will, will allow each player to have that feeling of, Oh, this is my time to shine. This is when, you know, this is what I'm going to do. The other is, like I said before, just step back and give the story to somebody else for a moment. Uh, There was a, there was a time in, in Evermore, in fact, when, we were at, uh, this is actually when my, my first character, Tavesh, died. There was a moment um, where Ray gave me the option. He, I said, you know, hey, I, 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 the world around us was imminently going to explode. We knew it was going to happen. And there was a moment my character was given where I could have pulled all my friends out of that world to somewhere else. Now, they had already said what they were going to do. One person was going to do this. They were going to try to convince this person not to do it for one last second. You know, there was another person who was trying to kill this big bad at the same time. I decided at the last minute, he said, do you want to do this before or after the explosion? Like before that moment happens. Mm -hmm. And there was a moment when I was like, well, if I do it before, I'll save everybody. I can save everybody right now. But then it hit me that those other people at the table had already made their choices. They had already committed to their, their line of their story. And it would be unfair for me to take that moment away from them by pulling them out of the story. So I had to say, you know, you guys are telling your story. I'm going to let you tell it. I'm going to choose to do this afterwards. And we all ended up dying in that moment. There were 10 player deaths that, that night. It was rough. That was pretty rough. But everybody felt like they had um, had power in that moment for yeah. what they wanted to do. And I didn't want to take that away from them. Did so I think if I'm, if I'm talking to a new player, just allow other people to have their story as well. That's the best thing I can really say about it. Did you feel guilty at that moment that you couldn't save him or that your character couldn't? Not so much that I couldn't save them. I just, my biggest emotion was, was loss because I was deeply connected with this character by that point. I'd even started up a, a romantic thing with one of the other characters. He was growing. He had a story that I thought he was supposed to tell. Um, He had a big bat of his own that he was supposed to be looking for and dealing with, but somebody else came into the session and they really needed help with this thing. We all kind of agreed as a group, this is what we're going to do. And I fought that loss for a long time. It hurt pretty bad for a while. (laughs) Um, But no, there was no point where I regretted not, not doing that because everybody got to tell the story that they wanted to tell in the way that they wanted to tell it. I have been playing Dane Granite Heart since the beginning of my tenure at Evermore. So I have seen Tavosh uh, in many ways, and I have been able to interact in some beautiful ways. Dane is a tattooer that does. (laughs) Well, it's just, it's one of those things I've, I've, Ironically, with this character, I pretty much was told, just let it like, let it roll. 
whatever you think, because I played with Maisie and, and um, Gavin, them being probably the most lore driven players. They, every session was a lore drop. So just being told, Hey, you know what? Just do, you know, just go, go with the flow. And mind you, from a mechanical perspective, my character should not be able to do the things that they do. Like intelligence and wisdom is not their strong, their strong suit, but things happen and things are allowed to happen. My question to you, because there, maybe there are moments that your characters have, and especially in this world, mechanically shouldn't be allowed to do this. But storytelling wise, it works. What would you as a player tell those DMs who are struggling to allow that to happen in their world? Because again, the rules say it has to be like this. But the story feels like it should go this way. You as a player, what would you tell that DM who's tr who's trying to make that transition? I would say... <laughs> my since I've I've gotten to experience it in Evermore, where Ray is a pretty much yes and kind of person, if you want Damn. to try something, you definitely can. Like like I was saying, I could have pulled everyone into what we called the dreamscape, uh, which is like a a side uh, world or dimension, I guess, kind of thing, like a uh, pocket dimension almost. Right. There's no rule for that in D and D. There's no. There's nothing like that. What you can do if you want your characters to have that kind of freedom is find ways to make roles that make sense mm -hmm. for doing those crazy kinds of things and let the story live. Uh, what Ray would do is if I wanted to do something in the in the uh, dreamscape, if I wanted to do something incredible in that, I usually had to make an arcana role of some sort. Um, I had a couple near brushes with the consequences of having that ability. Uh, maybe that's, maybe that's part of it is give them abilities, but give them consequences that come with those abilities uh, to offset it. Maybe um, I, what I did was I eventually ended up uh, getting talents that put my arcana much higher because I felt that my character had um, an adeptness at using the streamscape. So I made my, I built my character around getting better arcane roles because I knew that's what was going to be expected of me if I wanted to do stuff in this streamscape world. So use your imagination, find a way to make it work. If you think it's going to add to the story and make things cooler, make things more enjoyable for everybody, find a way to incorporate it that use parts of the rules, but parts of your players' imaginations and, don't just let them be gods, you know, let there be risks to what they want to do as well. You mention the balance of characters and building that obviously is an assumption. Could you walk me through how you build a character that considers backstory, considers mechanics, but also considers future storytelling? Right. Because you are you mentioned rather that you're build you built out this character and you had to make sure that your arcana was mechanically higher so that you can have a higher success rate. But you've also done things from a storytelling perspective 
that may not have been synergistic, right? Not not to go too deep into like Magic the Gathering, which Thomas, you kicked your you kicked my ass with that deck, <laughs> and I I may or may not have bought that deck. Uh, which one? Uh, the Boros. Uh, oh, I'm just saying that's a side tangent. He, it was a beautiful deck, beautiful win combo, by the way. But besides that, how do you balance that character building between mechanics, rule of cool, so to speak, storytelling, and trying to think ahead in the future? For me, uh, I think every person does it differently. But for me, when I was going through uh Tavash, for example, he was a sorcerer, the streamscape sorcerer. Um I tended to make all my spell choices mm-hmm. tend to be psychic kind of spells. Um I didn't have a whole lot that weren't psychic based spells. Um for instance, okay, uh my newest character, Naquin, he's a paladin, he's a uh Oath of the Sea paladin. The best class. <laughs> Um, I was looking to uh, multi-class and I wanted a story reason for that to happen. Um, my character happened to have pre, pre in his previous life, been a soldier uh, and he was resurrected into this, this water form, you know, protector of the sea. We just happened to have a big meeting. We call it the festival of fates where my character had a chance to go back to the planet that he was on before when he was a soldier. That was a perfect time for me to step into my multi-class because, hey, I'm going back to where I was just a soldier or I was a fighter. What I happened to want a multi-class into was fighter. Um, So I go back to this, you know, back to the destruction of this city where this happened, where I died and had this whole montage of reconnecting with my soldier side. And that let me start dipping levels into fighter for, for this character that was solely a paladin. Um, find reasons for things to happen. Don't just, I would say, avoid avoid building just to be the strongest. Find reasons that things happen to your character. Find a reason that they, why did they choose that spell? Why did they... Why did they multi-class into, you know, whatever? Um, when I was playing Zerus, my tiefling, I had a very similar experience. I'm like, I feel like my character's at a point where he feels like his magic is failing him too often. He feels like he can't trust his magic anymore because there has been a lot of key roles where I rolled badly. And my story now tells me my magic's not working when I when I want it to, when I need it to. So that character started focusing a little bit more on physical stuff. They ended up going uh Hexblade Warlock uh to get more physical with their their attacks. They still had that magic to kind of fall back on, but if for a while he didn't trust his magic anymore, so he wanted to focus more on a sword. Find a reason. Find a story reason to move your character forward. I think that the balance of character building and character creation lies in what you said. Finding the thing 
right? Well, whatever, whether it is in game, a material thing, it could be an object of grandeur, I don't know, or it could really be that notion that you mentioned with your paladin fighter going and making a connection, almost building a bridge between that. You got to find it and you got to really, I don't want to say convince your DM, but for lack of a better phrase, it is a bit of a convincing because DMs in order to get the yes and, or the even have the yes, but DM. And what I mean by that for folks in the audience is the DMs that say yes, and this, or yes, but this occurs, those type of DMs, you got to give a reason. There has to be some sort of logic, right? And if you were to say, oh, my character, like yours, was a soldier, and I can, if you give me the opportunity, I can even role play it. I don't even have to write it out. I can role play it. It's more authentic that way. That as a dungeon master gives me more happiness than you trying to come up with a reason and you get the, uh, well, my character, uh, you know what I mean? Like that yep. typical phrase. So but, go ahead. No, go for it. Go for it. I was going to say my goal with going into warrior was, uh, I wanted to take three dip, three levels into it and become rune knight. And <laughs> story-wise the person who resurrected my character uh, you know him as Nate Jorah. His his yeah. character Jorah became the Wave Mother. Uh, Jorah was deep into runes. He was he was uh, he wasn't a rune knight, but he was practicing with runes and using them in strong ways. And I think that what in my head, my story canon for what's happening is I'm reconnecting with this this fighter side of me and the Wave Mothers because I've had this conversation with Ray you know, about kind of what I want to happen is the wave mother is going to give me insight into these runic symbols so that I can use them to further the cause of being this protector of the ocean. Um, it's all about conversation. I think with, with your DM don't, I would say, try not to lean on mechanics, lean more on story and you'll have a much better time and you'll connect deeper with your character. I I love that because with that philosophy, with that belief system, we're able to say, damn the mechanics, no matter what game I play, I can copy and paste my character into anything. Oh, for sure. And then it makes life so much simpler. I feel that if we were to think about gaming in that kind of multi-facet or multi-prong approach, it would be different. Just like life in general, right? If we were to think, okay, my being, my personhood, I can copy and paste it into something else. And hey, it's still applicable. Obviously, sometimes it's a little difficult, but I think we get the meaning. Build it like that. Now, I do want to hit, because I know time-wise, I want to make sure that I'm cognizant um, of folks and their and their time your podcast that you've been working on and that you've again having that experience and the podcast that you have currently right now do you mind kind of telling us a little bit about that what is the premise what's the style of podcast 
Sure, definitely. Um, so when I wanted to put this podcast together, I took stuff that I learned from Evermore, took stuff that I've learned from other encounters that I've had. I took stuff from play that I didn't enjoy and play that I did and said, this is what, if, if, if I want to introduce somebody to D and D, this is what I want them to see. It can be, it can be, you know, this deep emotional story. It can be about character and telling important stories. So when I went out looking for a cast, I had that in mind. I wanted it to be an inclusive table. I wanted it to be a safe table and I wanted it to be a table with people that enjoyed telling stories and getting into character. And I luckily found a cast that's incredible at all of that. Um, We have Ashlyn, our our DM. We have Mario, who's, if you have not heard the multitude of voices that that man can do, it's, it's incredible. Uh, We have Taylor who's, who brings an energy to the show that, I don't think anybody else could. And Shelby just, Shelby just rocks it. She has such a personality that she brings into her character that makes everybody want to like hang out with them. It's great. Anyway, I wanted a a table that could, I wanted a show that could let people experience what that depth of D and D could be like. Uh, So that was going forward that was our goal we want to have characters that can become important to a person characters that other people can connect with and a story that you know i don't even know what the story is yet because we're still pretty early but i know that ashlyn is taking great care to incorporate each character into the story that's going to be happening um so right now it's a I guess you could say pirate based ship based uh, adventure. Oh, cool. Um, what's that? That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, we, we started out just, there was a captain and her first mate who just lost their ship. They don't have a ship anymore. And then there was uh, Mario's character and my character were coming from the unknown. We know where we came from, but we haven't yeah. really expressed that in the game yet. Uh and they met up at a tavern, <laughs> interestingly enough, uh, found out that we're both I looking for passage out of here, found some passage, and the story is telling itself. It's it's incredible. Ashlyn's taking wonderful pieces out of our backstory and already weaving them in to make the story connect to each of our characters. And without even realizing it, like we made these characters kind of separately it's amazing how well they're fitting together and telling the story that we have going forward. It feels like a natural progression, something that a lot of dungeon masters on air, so to speak, try to achieve, but very few do. Right. And giving props to Ray because he does deserve it. That only happens when you've been exposed to a dungeon master that, does that yeah so kudos in that regard but what from your perspective again you're you're coming in obviously in 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 this you are a, a co-owner or the main owner of this podcast correct i would say we're joint ownership for sure we we've no one owns it i've probably put the most money down to begin with because it was my idea and I felt I owed that to the rest of the team for now. 
Sure. Um, one thing that was important to me in this show as well is that I not I don't have to take sole responsibility for everything in the show. Everybody has really stepped up in amazing ways. Like Taylor does our social media. You know, Ashlyn's doing the DMing. I have Mario who's taking care of all our our scheduling. You know, and in other podcasts that I've done, whether it be D and D or not, I felt like I had to shoulder a huge amount of the, that load. Yeah. And in this one, it's a it's a blessing that I do not have to. I do not have to be the sole owner or provider of this show. I get to share it with others. So that's a really big help. And I that I, I totally empathize and sympathize with you because podcasting itself, which actually that might be a separate episode, because I would love to talk and dive deep into what it actually takes to create a podcast. So actually oh, yes. that would be, that would be a, a lovely topic for another episode. You see folks, that's how I uh, hook all my <laughs> guests into returning. <laughs> that's right. Um, no, but in, in all seriousness, I, I think that's, I'm excited to see the progress of the campaign. And I almost, part of me wants to say like, this is a, this is an extent, like a familiar extension because I know if I'm not mistaken, I think I know everyone, maybe Shelby, I have not met, but I right. have played with probably every one of those cast members. And as an individual, I can thoroughly say that they are excellent players, excellent, and even better storytellers. Now, that's one of the things that I also did when I kind of pieced this together. And we talked when we were talking about the show and its longevity was Ashlyn's like, okay, well, I have this campaign that I've kind of already this world that I've already kind of got set that you guys are can come into and play. I've, I've played through it. It's a homebrew world, but I've played through it once with characters of my own and you guys will, will come in and it should run for about two years or so. Now, for longevity's sake, we're like, okay, well, what do we do at two years? Well, it just so happens that at this table, we have four awesome DMs <laughs> who have the ability to make their own world and tell their own story. And that's kind of what we wanted to have in place is, okay, well, when Ashlyn's story is done, let's let Ashlyn sit at the table, let one of the other players move into DM, and we start telling the next story. That's where name is Roleplay Inc. We didn't want it to focus on this story. We wanted it to focus on all stories where we're all players in these different stories. So That makes sense. And that's actually brilliant because I think actually that gives if if folks want to adopt this methodology for their just, you know, own gaming group, I would highly recommend what Thomas is saying. Rotate your dungeon masters and let everyone share a little bit of that. I don't want to say burden, but a little bit of the weight. Yep. What do I mean by that? I mean that when a dungeon master finishes their campaign, Mind you, you can put some rules in place, right? Hey, let's make sure that every dungeon master runs a, a game for a year or a, yeah. for two years or whatever it is, depending on, let's say, you know, average two years before we switch to the next dungeon or dungeon master. Yeah. Yep. And that way, everyone gets a little bit of a taste of being a game master. Everyone understands 
the roles and responsibilities. It makes you a better player. And more importantly, it gives that person the stress-free kind of environment. Oh, I don't have to DM again. Yep. Third campaign. For sure. Please someone take it. And I think it also it also gives a chance to have everybody feel in our case specifically it gives everybody a chance to feel ownership over what we have. So it's not Thomas's show; it's all of our show. You know, it's we all, are, yeah, we we're all mutually invested in it. I think that's a good way too because look at who did that critical role. Everyone had a piece of the pie that they claimed and that they could really bring forth to the table as a group of friends, but also as business partners. Obviously I'm hoping the best for y'all. And I hope that y'all grow as quickly as you need to, but also, you know, I want y'all to have fun. Right. But I think the way you're set, setting the foundation is critical. Diversifying the responsibilities amongst the team is is an amazing I and I know that sounds so corporate but it really is true it's like it's a really an amazing thing to behold and a great practice to implement but with that being said I obviously can't wait to be a guest NPC <laughs> I will have Ashlyn reach out <laughs> no I uh, but in all seriousness I I can't I, I really can't wait um, to see where the story goes because homebrewing in my opinion has more depth than a module like you can use a module and i'm not shitting on anyone who uses modules they have a time and place for it modules are great and i'm not just talking like official i'm talking about third-party modules too yep they're great when you don't have time but you want to play run a module Oh, you're getting paid as a professional GM? Run a module. Oh, you are, you know, not only low on time, but holy cow, the family is, everyone's pulling me in different directions. You know, I need my own time module. And as a player, as a player, I'd say, get into a game with a module if you're new, because that module is going to follow the rules pretty, pretty explicitly usually. Um, and that'll give you a chance to get that foundation we were talking about earlier, learning the basic rules of it's the whole, you can't break the rules until you know the rules, you yeah. know, you, it's, you, you need to be able to know the foundation before you can really stretch those rules and make them, make them important. So modules have their place there for beginning players as well. That's very true. And actually, I think that's a really good point. Learn the rules and then break them. Yep. You, when you are in a training camp or a boot camp, whatever you want to call it, in like a corporate tech world, I mean, obviously basic training like the military too, you learn everything you need to know. Obviously, in the, the, the basic training in the sense of like military application doesn't apply in this analogy. But like a boot camp at a university for like a tech certificate you're learning about the industry and the specific information. And then you can say, oh, well, it's better to do it this way because it's more efficient 
and I still am using the same parameters of what I've learned. Yeah, That's an example. Totally. Learn the mechanics of D&D. Play with it. Don't learn the mechanics and then jump to Pathfinder and then jump to Call it. No. Learn the mechanics, read through it, but apply it. Because yep. it's one thing to learn the PHB and to read it. It's another thing to apply it. Yep. And I'm very... I'm very glad that others share this opinion, but I am again totally a West Marsh's style focus on the character type in the uh, DM. If you were a dungeon master right now, whether it's for the podcast or for a another game, what is the one thing that you would tell your players before they enter your world? Is it, are you telling them that, hey, be prepared emotionally? <laughs> are you telling them, hey, you need to, again, let's, you know, where, where are you in the rule set? Um, and, and not even the rule set. Where are you in the mechanics? What's your knowledge like? Are you telling them certain etiquette? What's going on in that? What, what does that scenario look like? I think it, again, I'll say that I said it before, it all comes down to communication. Um, if that character has a desire to explore certain storylines or certain certain themes, uh, let me know that. You know, talk to me about it. Say, and then give. Once you've talked to me about it, trust me. Give me the trust to incorporate that for you. It may not happen session one, but trust that I. I'm going to want to give you that experience if you've communicated it to me. But when is the, but what is the line or when rather is the time frame when trust can be established? Because in my head, a session zero or, you know, whatever amount of session zero is when you're kind of laying out something that you brought up, like the notion of the safe space, right? The notion of the inclusivity. Those things, obviously, session zero. Yep. But wouldn't that be a good indicator that if you are sharing the same values in a session zero that you can kind of trust the DM and therefore the player may say, well, I trust you, DM. I just want it now. You know what I mean? So like it's immediate <laughs> yeah. gratification versus... Yeah, they trust you, but they want it now. So like, how do you, I don't want to say combat it because we're not being combative. How do you address that? Uh, I think the easiest way would be breadcrumbing. Honestly, say, I'm going to give you a little bit now. You're going to taste what I have to offer you, but you're going to have to stick around through the story to find out where it's going to lead. Next time on Dragon, <laughs> exactly. Uh, I love it. Give them a flavor of it. Let them see what it feels like. Let them okay. give give them a taste. You it know? almost it's and actually I really love that approach, dude. Because you're also giving them time to process it. Yeah. Because they may say, you know what? I thought I wanted this story, and I actually want a dick and fart joke. Yeah. <laughs> or a hack and slash yeah 
not you know maybe maybe not the level of like goblin slayer but still something of that nature but, but i think i think the best dms will feel the that shift so let's say you know they say okay i want this to happen in my story somewhere but then they get into it and they're enjoying that hack and slash they're really getting into it. a good dm will keep that in the back of their head and hit that player with them when they're least expecting it. They could be deep into a hack and slash and all of a sudden, like, like I was with my first sorcerer, you know, all of a sudden I didn't know this person that we were about to fight was my, this lady that I had broken her heart, you know, but there she was right in front of me and bam, it hit me like, Oh, he remembered from way back then when I submitted that backstory to him, you know, eight months ago, here it is in my face. Um, yeah, your DM did you dirty. I loved in, it. In I the, loved every moment of it. <laughs> I was going to say, in the most beautiful way, they did you dirty. Um, I mean, I'll be honest, Thomas. Like, this is a great refresher because I often think and feel, and especially lately, man, I've been burnt out from DMing. Yeah. It's been very tough because it's, and you know this, man, we're dads. Yep. And for myself, and I'll, I'll be very transparent with folks on, on the show if I haven't been already. I, you know, my mental health sometimes gets affected by it. You know, I, I would assume that a lot of us guys, because a lot of my audience are, they're pretty diverse, but a lot of a lot of the audience are dudes. Yep. You know, and, and we, in my opinion, have an opportunity as men, as dudes in the TTRPG community to hold each other up, not only accountable, but hold each, hold each other up. So in that sense, it's really encouraging to know that there's like other people that I can identify with because we're very similar, man. Yeah, like we can, you know, we can say, hey, like, it's okay to let go and be vulnerable with people around me. And even though it's a game, yeah. but I love the Dumbledore quote where like, even if it's and you know, does it's it doesn't mean that it wasn't real, even though if it was in your head, in your own head, Oh, 1000%. Like, and that's kind of how I think about it, where no matter what, it's still real. So like, first and foremost, man, I want to thank you not only for being a guest here today, but for, more importantly, for sharing your story, because as a, as a man, I've often been told, and especially like my demographic culturally, like Hispanic Latino men are always told like, man, got to shove that shit like yep. deep down inside and vulnerability is not something you got to, you, you can't be vulnerable. But I'm noticing the more I play D&D, &D, the more that I run it, but specifically play, I become more vulnerable. Obviously, when I had my when when my wife and I had our daughter, like, man, talk about vulnerability <laughs> for sure. Like when my daughter does something that she's completely innocent and just to me, I'm like, hmm makes you make like makes you i makes me think either self-consciously or whatever because she'll like lift my shirt up and like go like that to my stomach and i'm like okay like i i appreciate 
appreciate it, kiddo. <laughs> um, like, damn, I, I should not have had that third donut. But uh, or fourth or a dozen. I don't know. <laughs> hey man, Krispy Kreme hot and ready, son. I can't help it. Right. Uh, but but more. But but you know, on a serious note, I really appreciate that vulnerability, and I really appreciate that. I hope rather that from for this episode, like vulnerability. If there is one key word that folks should know, is vulnerability. Be yeah, vulnerable. It's... it's okay to be vulnerable. Like this is a place where out of all the shit that goes on in the world, this is the one place to be vulnerable. For sure. This is, this is a, it's supposed to be a game where you can trust the people that you're sitting at the table with and truly experience something magical. And it's the, and it's a place where you can incrementally build trust too. Yep. For sure. It's not a place where you have to bear it all at once, nor do you have to, you know, refrain from it at all. It's breadcrumbs. Like yeah. So, so that table that I told you, I said that was Zaris, you know, we started out as, as five guys who didn't know each other from anybody. Oh, wow. We didn't know each other. We just met up at a game store and we started playing and over the months, you know, every week meeting up and, you know, touching on everybody's story and going through these adventures together, it became a a space where I was, I felt safe enough to break down when I was, you know, plunging that dagger in. And I knew it was not something that would be held against me. In fact, I'd probably be lauded for it, for making that such a great story moment. I wish more of us thought that way, to be honest with you. I think the world would be a way better place. I agree. But Anyway, with that being said, my friend, I want to thank you for being a guest on the show. I really appreciate the time that you took to be here with me today. And I really thank appreciate you so much for having me. Man, <laughs> this has been a great experience. Well, I can't wait for our second episode where we go more into the mechanics of podcasting. Sure. I'm down for it. Because I do want, I, I mean, this is the bearded nerd podcast, but I do geek out about that. Um, yes, the pun was intended folks. And yes, that was a bit of a dad joke deal with it. Anyway, (laughs) um, I appreciate it, man. I am going to make sure that in the showcase or in the show notes, your links to your socials will be there so that folks can check out the podcast. Awesome. But I, again, really appreciate it. And folks, thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you did enjoy this episode, I highly recommend subscribing to the podcast. I'm a fan of it myself, but I really also just appreciate the support. And if you really, really enjoyed it, be sure to leave us a five-star review and tell us what you liked about it and ways that we can improve. But more importantly, be kind and compassionate to one another, y'all. We are living in some really weird times, but a little bit of kindness and a little bit of compassion go a long way. We love you. Be good. And as always, keep gaming.